Today we finish a four-week series that we have been in on stewardship. And we tried to approach this from not a what-do-you-do-with-your-money standpoint, because uh, it was so much bigger than that. We approached it from the position that fundamentally you are created in the image of God, meant to represent him. Which means your very creation, in order to live that out, is to steward what God has given. On week number two, we talked about it's a gift, it's a privilege that God would create all of this and say, here, I want you to have it, and yet he also wants you to take responsibility for it, that he takes it seriously. And then last week, we covered three areas, kind of talked through the most traditional areas of stewardship, time, treasures, and talents. This morning, we continue that, we're going to hit three more. And the point is not to give you like the fullness of each one of these topics, Rather, it's to get you just to start thinking about them. It's to ask you to be open to the Spirit moving in your life in these areas and see the ways you may need to change your life in order to better steward what God has given. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, you have given far more than we will ever know, far more than we deserve. Lord God, help us to recognize the gifts, the provision, the love, everything that you have poured out, Lord, and to take those things seriously, to live our lives in light of what you have given. For your honor and glory, in Christ's holy name we pray, amen. So you got to see a lot of our kids left. Uh, this is, it's nice to have them all back again. We have our kids in the service up until the sermon, and then we send them out to get something that's more age-appropriate. Um, but it's very intentional. We want our children to worship. We want them to be with their parents and with other adults and to be a part of this, but then to go get something that really would connect with them in a way that I may not connect with them so much. And I can tell you our teachers are doing a phenomenal job with our kids. I know this from personal experience. My daughter is in fourth grade, and two weeks ago, because they study the same thing we do. I, I give them the same passages. I, a lot of times I'll even give them my sermon before you get it, and they build their lessons so that your kids are getting the same kind of thing you are getting. That way you can have conversations. Well, two weeks ago, Heather uh, left her bag at church, and Somebody came up to me and said, hey, you know the Goodmans, right? Can you take this and get it to her? And I said, sure, I can do that. Well, my daughter and I stayed afterwards, and my, the rest of my family had taken off. My daughter and I get in the car, and, and we take off, and we're heading for home. And partway home, I go, dang it, I forgot that bag. And my daughter from the back goes, Daddy, that's bad stewardship. And I said, no, honey, no, no, that was Heather's responsibility. <laughs> She's doing bad stewardship, not me. <laughs> but I had to take it. I said I would take care of that thing, and I did not, and I left it there. But they are getting the message. Stewardship. Um, what are we doing with what God has given to us? 
And I tried to bring up the example in the beginning of everything from when, a, when you loan somebody your vehicle and you expect them to manage it well. Like, that's not their vehicle. You want them to take care of it. You can think of the various things that you might have given to somebody. God has given to us so much. What are we doing with it? How are we taking care of it? Are we good stewards? Or like me with the bag, bad stewards? What are we? I have today three topics. I'm going to say the same thing I said last week. If you hear anything today that you struggle with, that you are offended by, if you hear something where you think I'm talking about you, I am not, but God may be talking to you. Will you this morning be open to what he has to say? Um, I'm going to do very similar to what I did last week, which is very abnormal for us. Typically, we take a passage and we just go verse by verse through the passage. Um, today, it is more topical, and I'm going to be reading a bunch of scripture. All, right? All of the scriptures, you can get them from me, but I'm going to read a bunch of scriptures for each topic and then talk about it. Here's the first topic for us today. Planet Earth, environmentalism, whatever you want to call it. Planet Earth. Let me read you a couple of things. At the end of creation in Genesis 1.31, God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Romans chapter 8, verse 18 for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be, to be revealed in us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God." Colossians 1.17, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There was a reading from Job. Um, I'm going to just highlight some things in Job where God says to Job, where were you when I was defining even the lines of where the oceans would come to? Where were you when I was with the lion who was giving birth? Here's what we need to know about God and his planets. He loves his planets. He created this planet and said it is good. He is still holding it together. He is looking for redemption. He is going to recreate the planets. Do you know that eternity will not be in heaven? There is a new heavens and a new earth. And we will be resurrected. Because God loves his planets. What are we doing with his planet? How are we treating what God loves? What God lovingly created? What God still is paying attention to, to the point that Jesus would say, not even a sparrow falls. That's how much he is paying attention to his creation. How are we doing? Let me give you some statistics. Here's how we are doing. 60 million metric tons of food 
is wasted each year in the U.S. at an estimated value of $162 billion. With 32 million of those metric tons in landfills that cost approximately $1.5 billion per year to maintain. Eight million tons of plastic dumped in the ocean each year. To give you an idea, if you took one foot of coastline all the way around the entire world, you could put five grocery bags on it. Every foot of coastline. We use 80 billion aluminum soda cans a year. To produce each week's Sunday newspapers, 500,000 trees are cut down. The average household throws away 13,000 separate pieces of paper each year. Most of that is junk mail. We're actually throwing something away that we're not even looking at hardly. Every month, we throw out enough glass bottles and jars to fill up a skyscraper. Here's the good news. That's how we're doing. Here's the good news. An aluminum can is recycled and back on the grocery shelf as a new can and is in as little as 60 days. You recycle an aluminum can in as little as 60 days, it can be back on the shelf again. There is no limit to the number of times an aluminum can can be recycled. In 2005, Americans recycled 42 million tons of newsprint. It saved 714 million trees. 2013, Americans generated about 254 million tons of trash, but they recycled and composted about 87 million tons of that. A 60-watt light bulb can run for over a day on the amount of energy saved by recycling one pound of steel. In one year in the United States, the recycling of steel, this is already, saves enough energy to heat and light 18 million homes. Here's the positive. We are actually doing something about it. It's pretty bleak. If you are God looking at your planet right now, and you are looking at what we are doing to the planets, it's pretty bleak. However, we are doing something about it. My question is, are you? I am not here to try to get you to join Greenpeace, to turn you into a tree hugger, whatever else you want to call it. It's not about that. It's about asking you this question. God loves his planet. What are you doing with his planet? Here's a right attitude, I would suggest. Our planet is God's amazing creation that he loves and cares for and still sustains and has given us the immense privilege of dwelling on it and taking care of it. We have the opportunity to care for something God loves. Will we take that opportunity? Here are some things that you could do. Recycle, compost, use reusable bags for grocery shopping. I was so convicted by the number of plastic bags that we get rid of that like, we actually have reusable bags. I just always forget them. I mean, they're always at home. We have a bunch of them because we bought more. When, like I'd be at a store and not have them so I'd buy more. I have like 25 of them now that I don't take with me to the store. But I was so convicted by this. I don't want to use a plastic bag ever again. 
just knowing how many there are and knowing I don't need them and knowing my reusable bags are bigger anyway. I actually hold more. They're, I can organize things better. Do more online and less through paper. I know there is some fear about people getting credit card numbers. I pay almost every single bill we have online. No paper comes to our house hardly, other than junk mail that I throw away. <laughs> Stop that too. Use rechargeable batteries. Plant trees or pay for somebody else to do it if you don't have any trees to plant. Contribute to organizations that seek to care for the planet. This is real. Not because environmentalism is Christian, but because God created the planet and loves the planet. And if we are his followers, we should love what he loves. We should care for what he, care for, he cares for. Back in 1879, there was a French postman, rural area of France. He spent 30 years as a postman out in this rural area, going on this route day after day after day. And one day, he picked up a rock that he thought was just a great rock. And he took it home and he had a plan. He wanted to build a castle. He's not an architect, no training in this, but he began to collect rocks every trip he took. Every time he's out there delivering, he's picking up rocks. He began to take a small wheelbarrow with him on his route, and he would just fill it up with rocks, and he'd go back home, and every night he would mix it with limestone by an oil lamp, and you can go to France today, and you can see a castle that he built out of these rocks that's the size of a house. He has all of these mythical figures on it and animals and just all this stuff that you can go see right now. One day at a time. One rock at a time. This guy built something that is now a historic landmark that he had no training for, but he was committed to. I understand that you recycling may almost seem ridiculous. Like, like I'm going to make a difference. I mean, with everything that's being thrown away, what's it going to be if I just do it? What if you did it for 30 years? What if everybody in this room did it for 30 years? How much are we saving? God loves his planets, will we? Number two. All right, this one's a little sensitive, or it can be. Um, I was actually warned, I gotta be careful with this. Please hear me say this generically. I'm not talking about anybody in this room, but we're gonna talk about us, our bodies. Genesis chapter two and verse five. When no bush of the field was yet in the land and no small plant of the field yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land. There was no man to work the ground. And mist was going up from the land and watering the whole face of the ground. And then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground. And he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. This was not an afterthought of God. This was not something he kind of threw together. This is God Forming man 
and breathing his own life into him. God cares about your health. God cares about what you're doing with your body because he made it. Here's the way that it is said in Corinthians. All things are lawful for me. Chocolate, fast food, it's all lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. God did not make you so that you could go destroy you. God did not make you to be dominated by those things that could destroy you. God made you for him. Your body was made for him. What are you doing with your body? How are you caring for what God has formed and breathed into and has said is for me? How are we doing? Ready for these statistics? I was actually nice on this. There's a whole lot of things I could have said in here, and I, and I left it out there. I'll just let God speak to you. Nearly 80% of Americans do not get the recommended amounts of exercise per week. You know, you know, that, you know that, that 80 80 20 rule in churches? It's an exercise, too. Nearly 80%. 68% of adults in America are overweight or obese. Being overweight equals a shorter lifespan. Researchers have found that an additional increase of five in BMI translated into 30% increase in any cause of death. One in three children only, one in three children regularly physically are active during the week. 66% of kids in America do not have regular activity during the week. 31% of children are overweight or obese. In America, it works out to about 78 million adults and 12.5 million children as of 2012. Since the 1970s, obesity has, in two to five-year-olds, doubled. Six to 11-year-olds quadrupled. 12 to 19-year-olds tripled. Adults doubled. Obesity-related illnesses cost approximately $190 billion a year in America. 90% of Americans eat up to 3,400 milligrams of sodium per day. 1,200 above recommendations. By reducing that to the recommended amount, it's estimated we would save $20 billion in medical costs. 70% of Americans do not get enough sleep. I think that's low. I mean, I, anybody in this room feel like you get enough sleep? Two hands. We love you guys. We want to be you. Two more. We got four people. Five. <laughs> feel like an altar call. See that hand, I see that. Here's sleep. It is connected to hypertension, diabetes, depression, obesity, cancer, increased mortality, and just the general quality of life and productivity. We don't take care of ourselves, and we blow it off. 
And I would say this to everybody in the room, all things are lawful for me in Christ, but not all things are helpful. God created us. He made our bodies for him and for each other. I could tell you when I was most convicted of my health, getting ready to have my first kid, I want to be around as long as I can be around. I want to see my grandkids. I want to be there. I'm not going to be there if I don't take care of myself. I want to be what he wants me to be. I want to be there for what he wants me to be there for. He made us, and he has called us to a healthier lifestyle. Here's the thing that I think is interesting about health. We treat health as something that we deal with after the fact. I mean, think about it. When somebody gets really, really sick, we start thinking about our life. If they pass away, we start thinking about our own life and are we doing the right thing so we can live longer. It's the afterwards thing. We, we don't deal with it proactively. We wait till something happens and then we go, now I gotta make a change. Could you imagine if we treated other things in life like that? Imagine I'm getting ready to get on an airplane and I'm in a hurry. And they're doing all of their safety checks and all of the things. And I go, you know what? I'm going to take my chances. It's just 34,000 feet in the air moving at 1,200 miles an hour in a little tiny cylinder. I'm going to wait till the wing falls off and then you can check it. Anybody want to get on that plane? What about a roller coaster? Would you prefer that they check the roller coaster after it falls off or beforehand? We are not proactive about our health, but we are about many other things in our lives. We need to get there with our health. Not because we're health nuts, but because we love God. And God has made us, and we're for him where we take care of it. And number three, last one. Genesis 2, verse 22. Actually, before I read this, I need to say something about this scene. The last one is, uh, by the way, marriage. It's a relationship between spouses. Um, if you go to Genesis chapter 1, you're going to see something that repeats. It is good. 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 It is very good. It is not good. Genesis chapter 2 should jump out. I mean, one of those things that, like, if you're following along, going, okay, I get the picture. It's good. It's good. It's good. Oh, it's very good. Yeah, okay. It's good. It's good. It's not good. It's what? I mean, it, it stands out. It's not good. What is the one thing that the creator of the universe would say, it is not good, that man would be alone? God is saying this. It is not good that he is alone. And so God sets up this thing. He says, all right, I'm going to fix this. But before I do it, I want to make sure you understand. And let me speak to men for a minute because we all need to hear this. God could have done this a whole bunch of ways. The way he does it, here's what he does. Come here, Adam. Why don't you start naming animals? Here they come. They're going to come by you. 
Oh, look, there's two of them. And there's two of them. There's two of them. There's two of them. And there's this long line of animals. And Adam is excited at first. He's going, they're going to be a lion, and you're an elephant, and, and you're a chimpanzee, and that's great. And, and none of you look like me. And the line is getting shorter and shorter. And you get to the very end, and you realize that you are on planet Earth, and you are the only human being. Have you ever felt lonely before? Talk about lonely. And I personally think God did that. Because as men, we don't always recognize how much we need that partner, that spouse. We need her for certain things, and I'll leave it at that. But it was bigger than that. And that's what you see in the response. Genesis 22, 22, so the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and he closed up the place with flesh. Hey, again, there's a gentleness here. It's much like the formation in the first place, that idea. He has him fall asleep. And the rib that the Lord God had taken out of the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And the man said, and, and can I tell you what he didn't say? He did not say, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She'll be called woman. No, he went, hallelujah. <laughs> this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Not all those things. This is mine. This is like me. She is like me. You have made her for me. And he is excited. And therefore a man shall leave his mother and father and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Ephesians 5, 31 and 33 picks up on this and says, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying it refers to Christ and the church. Hey, this relationship, this is the fundamental relationship of society, of God's creation. That man and woman would be together, they would form the family, and everything would be built on it. So much so that the only analogy he gives for the church is that relationship. The husband and wife. That's Christ and his church. It is so intimate and so profound. It's what we were made for, and he loves his relationship. God is the one who stepped in to say, I'm going to form this. What are we doing with the relationship that he formed? How are we stewarding the relationship he has put us in? Well, let me tell you. On average, couples spend two hours per day doing something together. Typically, almost one hour of that is watching TV. So just think about how we're stewarding our relationships that the average couple, two hours a day is all. Man, that's everything. That's eating, that's hanging out, that's talking, it's having a cup of coffee, whatever it is. Two hours a day on average, and one of those is watching TV. How are we stewarding our relationships? One-third of couples spend 30 minutes of meaningful time per day, and three in 10 feel their relationship is suffering. 
half said there's no romance in my marriage any longer. Is there romance in your marriage? Guys, is there romance in your marriage? No matter how long you've been married. Can I tell you something? It's not just for her. It's for him. Because he made that relationship. And the way we treat our spouse is saying something about how we feel about what he thinks is important. Because first and foremost, that relationship belongs to him before it even belongs to you guys. What are you doing with that relationship that God has blessed you with? Time. I'm going to share this. I I didn't mean to, but I read it and I have to share it. Couple that I just read about. 2014, they celebrated 70 years of marriage. They got married in 1944 after six weeks of knowing each other. But they made it. This is, this is what the guy said. This is what the guy said in the interview. Um, it was love at first sight. As soon as she came in, I saw her and I said to my friend, look at that beautiful blonde. I've never been luckier when she said yes. 70 years of marriage. He said the thing that kept them together, and he mentioned a few things in the article. He talked about being able to tolerate each other and work through issues. And all this. He said, but the main thing was dancing. For their entire marriage, two times a week, they went dancing. And he said, we got time together that was just us. We never gave that up. Time. How much time do you devote to your spouse? Let me give you some things we might consider doing. Invest in each other. Date nights, long conversations, trips together. And it doesn't matter how old we are. It doesn't matter how long we've been together. We need to invest in each other. These are ways of doing it. See the stupid things that we fight over for what they are. Stupid. More importantly, not as important as the relationship. Stop trying to be right. I know this is hard because I struggle with it, but stop trying to be right. Care more about the relationship than about being right. I gotta look around here before I say this. I think I can say this. I'll say it once and then go on. Have sex. It is so essential. (laughs) Somebody's explaining it over here. Dang it. (laughs) Physical intimacy is necessary for a marital relationship. Physically, emotionally, mentally. It is necessary. Leave it at that. Um, Love your kids with everything you have. Love your spouse more. Your first relationship is your spouse. And if you don't love your spouse right, it will impact your kids. Not that you don't love them with everything you have, but your first relationship is your spouse. And recognize your kids are going to cause stress. Do I need to say that? 
And lastly, you need Jesus. You need Jesus in your relationship. Not just you, but in your marriage. You need Jesus in your relationship. Here's some other statistics on the positive side, and I need to end. I've gone over like eight minutes. Um, 53%, this was a wide-ranging study, 53% of very happy couples agreed with this statement. God is at the center of our marriage. On the other hand, nominal Christians, and they kind of define this, those who simply call themselves Christians but they're not actively engaged in their faith in any meaningful way, are 20% more likely than the general population to get divorced. What's that for a weird statistic? The explanation was this. Perhaps there's a link between putting on a show in religion and putting on a show in a marriage. God loves this planet. God loves your body. He made it. God loves the relationship that you are in. He formed it. He created it. What are you doing with those things? How are you honoring him with that? I will end with this. Last week, um, on Saturday night, we came home from a trip, short trip, like three hours. And we walked in. The first thing we did, we have not left our dog outside, four-month-old puppy. We had not left her outside for any length of time, really. We've done it a little bit an hour here, an hour there, but we left her outside because it was a beautiful day. We're tired of cooping her up. My wife goes out into the backyard. Dog is gone. We don't know when the dog left, um, but she came in, and I mean, she was, it, this is her dog. Um, she was a mess. She was crying. She was very upset. Thankfully, our, our daughter was gone. Our two younger boys, we just brought them in, put them on the couch. We started a show for them so we could figure out what to do. I put it on my Facebook, on the church's Facebook, on Facebook pages for vets around the area, on the social media sites, printed out signs, and between 9.30 at night and 10.30 at night, drove all of the neighborhoods around here putting signs up. Started by riding my bike and calling for her, but didn't find her. Um, anything we could do to find this dog. Praise the Lord, 11 o'clock that night, we got a phone call. Somebody had found her, they had kept her, they had fed her, she was well taken care of, I went and got her and brought her back. But, here's the part of the story you need to know. If you were here a few weeks ago, you know that uh, my favorite dog is one that's not at my house. It's my favorite dog. Um, we did not get this dog for me. Um, this is not my dog. Um, I don't really care that, it's not my dog. After this whole thing, um, my daughter heard all the story. I mean, I went from, we got home at 7.30, I went from 7.30 to 10.30 nonstop. I rode a bike, I put things, everything I did to find this dog. My daughter came and said, see, Daddy, you do love the dog. <laughs> and I said, sweetie, your mommy loves the dog. I love your mommy. And anything that means anything to her means something to me. And I would have done anything to find that dog. Not because I care about the dog. 
but because I desperately love the woman who cares about the dog. And if it means something to her, it means something to me. Will you love what God loves? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you, God, for just the blessings in our life, for breath, for friendships and family, for sunsets, for a good book. Lord, help us to recognize all the ways that you have given to us the privilege of taking care of things you love. And let us change our lives to reflect that. Lord, I pray nobody leaves here feeling guilty. I pray they leave here feeling energized, wanting to follow you, wanting to please you, wanting to love you by taking care of those things that mean something to you. Lord, just make us better people for your honor and glory. In Christ's name, amen. Would you please stand?